Another episode into the JDV experience sitting here with Kelvin Harris. This uh, Kelvin Harris has done a bunch of different stuff in his career. He's been a football player. He's a Miami U alum. He hosts the U podcast and uh, pretty popular, I think, among some Miami fans sometimes, right? Um, yeah, I guess. Um, sometimes they don't like what I say, but most of the time, you know, <laughs> and then they'll, let, they'll let you know, so... <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, fans are always great about letting you know, aren't they? Aren't they? They're always the best. Oh, yeah, they don't. Some of them have some really stupid uh, opinions, but hey. <laughs> so make it free country. No, so uh, I think this is a couple years ago uh, when I first came across you on Twitter, and I think we had followed each other. I had kind of thrown out the thing where I was like, hey, didn't you have some football cards? And it was the old game day cards is what you were on back in the yeah. day and i had i definitely had one of those at some point i don't know where it went i may have sold it in a bunch of different stuff but uh when i was getting rid of a lot of my card collection but i had it at one point and i recognized the name as soon as you popped up and so i was like oh dude i that was before my time but i, re I remember that dude because i had his card you know so ironically i've just mailed out some cards that somebody sent me to sign <laughs> <laughs> like literally just mailed them out that's funny. That's funny, right? Yeah. It's a, it's crazy. It's so I definitely wanted to talk a little bit about that because the one thing that I don't have, you know, in my experience that I like to try to bring on this show and maybe learn from as much as I possibly can because I I didn't play the sport. I had to, you know, go the book route basically and and talk with a lot of different people and and start to figure that side of of things out uh, without the experience. And so I always like having those types of people like you that have played. And that you've been at the, you know, FBS level back in when you were playing at Miami, they were really stinking good. So, you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you guys were competing for national championships. That was the prime time of the U. And like, so I guess my first question for you, man, is uh, what what was it that got you into football? Like when how did you start playing football? What was that? What did that look like? Start playing it in the backyard where I grew up at. I was um, maybe 10, 9, yeah, 10, 11. Mm -hmm. We'd all play Sandlot games. And, you know, it took me a while. I, like, I was always overweight for Pop Warner. I would go out, you know, during tour days. And then right when they um, got ready to play the first game, they started doing the weigh-ins. <laughs> <laughs> I never made the weight. But I just wanted to be out there. And so then I got to high school. Obviously, there's no weight limit. Mm -hmm. And I developed you know, relatively quickly. And then I was a pretty big-time recruit. One of the, for this, for this city, probably one of the more highly recruited guys in the history of the city. Um, so then came down between uh, Miami, Florida, Georgia, and Clemson, and um, picked Miami. Makes the most sense. I mean, it's only a two-hour drive for my mom, my stepdad to come see me. And they were the best team in the country. So it's like, best team in the country wants you, and it's close to home. 
I think that pretty much <laughs> sums it up 1000%. And so yeah, but when you, I was just going to say, when you're going through the process, you got a lot of people coming at you. And sometimes you need to take a step back to help you make the decision. And for me, it was actually going to Georgia because at this point I realized, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm, not, I'm not going to Georgia, but they want me to come in for a visit. And it was the first time ever flew on a private plane. <laughs> they came and picked me up on this private jet. And I remember halfway through, I had to use the bathroom. So they had to make an emergency stop. <laughs> um, and I went out and I got, I used the, I, 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 I peed right on the runway and we got right back on and went back to Georgia. <laughs> but, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a fun time. You know, that's why I think anybody who's getting recruited, you got to enjoy it. You can't let it stress you out. You just got to have fun with it. Cause you got all these people, you know, basically lying to you, telling you the greatest things to slice bread. And then when you get to their campus, that's all going to change. And the kids have to know that, but they don't. So they're taking a lot of this stuff that they're hearing from these people literally until they get to campus. And that guy that's been so nice to you becomes like a, a drill sergeant. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, but it was a fun, it was a fun experience. Well, yeah. I mean, if you got, cause back then, let's see, I'm trying to, so the early nineties, you're talking about in late eighties, early nineties, Miami's big Alabama was kind of trying to rebound from uh, Bear Bryant. And that was Gene Stallings that was coming in. Yeah. Um, Georgia and Clemson, I think were both – Georgia had just won the, the national title, what, probably nine, ten years before that. No, only about four. Oh, four yeah. Because it was like 82, 83. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, I think it was 82. I was thinking 80 for some reason. But, yeah, so they had just, they had just won it, so they were great. And, yeah, it's – Florida SEC SEC is obviously the king always has been in terms of that kind of stuff. I mean, you might make the argument now because you played in the ACC, but. <laughs> well, at that point, to be honest with you, it was us in Notre Dame because we were both independents and, um, you know, once Lou Holtz came in, it was just us. And then back then everybody was kind of on the big 10 and the big eight because it was, it wasn't the Big 12, it was the Big right. 8. It was yep. Oklahoma, Nebraska. It was Michigan, Ohio State. Us and Notre Dame. That was pretty much, those are the big dogs. And then, you know, the SEC was still trying to figure it out. And then Gene, um, Gene Stallings came in. And he turned um, turned Alabama around. And and then that led to Steve Spurrier. And then, you know, it just sort of uh, sort of escalated. But for the longest time, Nebraska and Oklahoma were still the kings. Right. More so Nebraska because Oklahoma fell off right as I was becoming a junior senior with the probation and the kids, the one kid shooting the other kid and Barry Switzer leaving. So, you know, but Nebraska just continued to just chug along. I mean, and then finally, I guess in 
what was it? Uh, 94? Yeah, 94. Tom Osborne wins his first national title with Tommy Frazier. Yep. And they just, you know, they won another one later on. But, uh, yeah, it was um, it was kind of compartmentalized, just a few, few schools. But, you know, the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry has always been big. And then Notre Dame has always had that, you know, that national spotlight that, you know, Lou Holtz brought them back to uh, notoriety. And they've, uh, they've held a spotlight at some point, you know, for the last 25, 30 years. They haven't always had success, though. Brian Kelly did a pretty good job of uh, keeping them consistent. Yeah. Uh, he's Outside got his, of maybe a year or two. But, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. So you were a center, right, when you were at Miami? That's what I finished at. I came in as an outside linebacker. Ah. Then I played defensive tackle. A little defensive and defensive tackle. Then they moved me to guard originally. And then they moved me to center. So back then, I would assume that playing two ways, just it's a lot like it is now. It wasn't something that happened a lot. No. Charles Woodson is an anomaly. He's about the only guy I can remember. And then the Gordy Lockbaum guy for Holy Cross, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Because but, that making the jump from outside linebacker to defensive lineman, so having you bulk up, right? And then moving you to the other side of the ball. <laughs> And then changing remember, positions there, too. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first day that uh, we did one-on-one pass protection when I got moved to offense. And the D linemen, the D tackles, were literally fighting to get over me because they smelled fresh meat. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, is, it was frustrating at first because, you know, you don't have technique. You're still learning your technique. And you got these, these Brahma bulls across from you who are just hungry and they're feeding on you and you got to learn on the run. But uh, I picked it up pretty, pretty quickly because I played a little bit of O-line in high school because you know, in high school you play both ways. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, unless you're going to probably like a six, a seven, a eight, a school, you're, you're playing both ways. If you're a star player. Yeah. Yeah. Now they try not to do that. Trying, you know, the bigger schools trying to get everybody to play one way, unless you're just a special athlete. So it's it's become specialized. Oh yeah, yeah, and again, like you said, the bigger schools. If you have more players there, you have a larger talent of kids to select from. Makes it a lot easier to kind of split it up and go one way, the other way. But yeah, no, it, to be in college, I guess. What what was that? What were some of the things that you were able to? you know, do that helped you make that change? Because being in college, you're going up against guys that have played this position, you know, most of their lives, like you said, smelling fresh meat. And, you know, was there a certain coach or was there a certain thing that happened that kind of helped you, you know, start to really pick up on the technique and the different things? I paid attention to the older guys. Mm-hmm. The guys who were starting that played my position. And I watched, you know, how 
how their technique was. And I guess I paid attention to the coaches, you know, the drills that we ran. I tried to get as good at the drills as I could. And then, you know, when we went into the one-on-ones, I just tried to be as competitive as possible. And, you know, you learn, you do these drills, and then you take them into battle, I guess you call it, to see um, how you do. And then you come in uh, after practice or before practice the next day, and you watch the film. And that was the other thing. I, I watched myself on film, and I compared my technique to the guys that were playing my position, and I tried to see what they were doing that I could do, you know. Right, and using, I guess, back then. So when did tape become a big thing? Do you know? Like, I think at least practice tape and practice film, was that that was about the 80s in college, wasn't it? Um. Early 80s, yes. Because mm-hmm. we, because um, I got there in 87. By that time, yeah, it was, everybody was doing it. And then we had this, I think my second year there, they brought in this uh, specialized computer where they could break down plays and all kinds of stuff for practice and in games from other teams. So you could, specialized in what you were looking at and that's back then with the old cassette tapes too you didn't have dvds you didn't have digital streaming right it was straight up cassette no. tapes going on or maybe even i don't think, I don't think you guys, tapes, yeah. oh okay yeah i was about to say the uh the real tapes you know that you see like the i guess in rudy that's probably a movie that is featured in <laughs> well you know when i was in high school um we had the uh, projectors, the film projectors. Yeah, that's that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, projector. And then when I got to college, they were doing the tapes. They didn't do film. They did tapes. Interesting. So you leave my so you finish up your career at Miami, and you end up being a twelfth round draft pick to the, the Los last Angeles. twelve round draft. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that, so back then, were they, they were the St. Louis Rams, right? No, they were the Los Angeles Rams. Okay, they were in L.A. Okay, yeah. so going from Miami to L.A., what was that change like for you? I loved it. I mean, it was uh, L.A., L.A. was my kind of town. Now, <laughs> that was different is that in Miami, you could stay out all night. Clubs don't close till five in the morning. Mm-hmm. LA last calls at one forty-five, so it took me a while to adjust to that. But it was just so much. It was so much land. It was so many places you could go. And I had some relatives out there, so you know I got a chance to see the full LA because we were in Anaheim, and on our off day, I would go up to LA, uh, Crenshaw area. Baldwin Hills, sometimes uh, Hollywood, because I had a hello girl group that I was trying to produce, and I had a lawyer, a, 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 a music attorney who was in, in Hollywood, so, you know, I would go by his office. I mean, I would make a full, because the thing about it is, when you got to L.A., you couldn't come back to Anaheim until 
seven o'clock because traffic is that bad. Right. So I knew once I left, I was there at least until seven or eight. So, you know, you said, well, I'm going to go do this, this, and this to kill the time. And it's not like it's boring, you know, so you, you know, you're enjoying what you're doing, but you know, you're there. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> so how different was the culture? Like not from a city standpoint, but just going from Miami college football to the Los Angeles Rams, the NFL team. Well, the coaches didn't yell at all because they just <laughs> cut you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's and, fair. You know, um, there, was, there were less players, but it was, um, it was good because the older guys, they took the younger guys under their wing. And, um, you know, we, we, we should have been better than we were. But there was no animosity on the team. Nobody hated each other. I mean, everybody got along. And I'm not saying like that. Every team is like that. But in our right. situation, it was everybody. I mean, we had a guy named Jackie Slater who, you know, it was the 17th year when I got there. So yeah, and he'd been doing it really. He'd been playing really well for a long time. Yeah, he ended up playing 20 years. So yeah. And so you got a guy like that, who is uh the cornerstone excuse me the cornerstone of the franchise mm -hmm. and then we had a veteran coach a guy by the name of Chuck Knox yep and there's some good assistants there was a good staff the staff was good to you but I don't know what it was I still to this day don't know why we want a better team overall we finished six and ten and ironically the Cowboys won the Super Bowl that year we went to Dallas and beat them. <laughs> and it's like, um, like pretty much all our wins came against playoff teams. But for whatever reason, 10 times we didn't get it right. Because so back, I'm trying to also think too, who else? Jim Everett, was, that, was he still there as the quarterback? Yeah, he was the quarterback. Yeah. And was this before or is this after the, uh, the incident with, uh, oh, dang, this was it Jim Rohn? This is before the incident with Jim Rohn. Okay. Because <laughs> I think that's probably the thing that why people of my generation even know who Jim Everett is, is because of that interview. But I mean, I, I understand also that I've, I love this sport and I've gone really deep into trying to understand a lot of the history and, and, you know, those different players and stuff. And so like, I'm a little bit different, but when I, when you say Jim Everett, it's always coupled with Jim Rohn. It just always is. That was a classic. <laughs> I mean, was he, he that kind of a guy normally? Was that just how he was? He was a don't take those shit kind of guy? No, that was, um, he was so um, laid back. I mean, he's making so much money that he didn't really have a reason to be upset. <laughs> <laughs> but he was definitely baited. That was a, that was a hell of an interview. Yeah, <laughs> it still comes up every 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 uh, anniversary. It still comes yeah. up on the social medias and makes its annual, you know, viral run. So, yeah, but it did for Jim Rome what he wanted it to do for him. Mm -hmm. It etched him in everybody's mind. So, I mean, I guess you could say he took one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, no, so 
you went how long how long did you end up staying was it just a year that you were with the rams and then you didn't you didn't year and a half year and a half yeah the big beginning of the second year i had i got hurt and this is one of the times i did listen to the veterans so i had an achilles thing mm-hmm. and so we got to the beginning of the season and they kept saying hey man go on ir and you know you're young and, you know, people tell you, you know, you hear this thing, you can't make the club in the tub. So I'm trying to uh, tough it out, you know, trying to show that they can count on me. And they were like, Achilles, man, he could tear that thing. He had the whole year. So they were like, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to let you go. You rehab and you get healthy. We'll, uh, we'll bring you back. So I... Uh, I was living in LA there and I rehabbed. We have an earthquake. I rehabbed through that. But the, 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 the big earthquake they had in LA. Right. So I was pretty much healed. And then I caught pneumonia of all things. And I lose like 20 pounds, 25 pounds. And I was through for the year after that. Because actually, I was getting ready to go sign with the Redskins. And that killed that. The, the, the old next pneumonia year, bug. Yeah, so then the next year, uh, I signed with a, signed with the Canadian League team. The, mm-hmm. the CFL expands into America. So I signed with the Vegas franchise you know, the guy gave me, he guaranteed my contract. I got a signing bonus. I was like, hell, let's go for it. So that was an utter disaster, that franchise. <laughs> and um, I ended up getting my money. Um, didn't play the whole year. We went through, that, that franchise went through like a hundred and some players. Training camp was crazy. Matter of fact, we were staying in a hotel where they filmed Casino, the movie. <laughs> they were filming it. They were filming it as we were going through training camp. Oh dang! So you, you're saying that we that we need to watch a casino to see you walking around in the background somewhere, going back to your hotel room. Well, they made sure they didn't get any of us in the shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was interesting. And so then the next year, I played Canadian League again. They still had American teams. I played for the San Antonio franchise, which was well run. Well run franchise. Uh, and uh, we ended up losing in the conference finals to Baltimore, actually, the, the Baltimore team. And that was the end of American teams after that year because Baltimore won the CFL. They won the Grey Cup. And the Canadians were like, nah, nah. No, <laughs> <laughs> nah, we can't. No, no, no. Americans ain't taking over this league now, too. Yeah, because that Baltimore franchise, because we had an advantage. We didn't have to have any Canadians. Mm-hmm. So all of our franchises were all Americans. And um, it was definitely an advantage. And so they they shut that down. But it's forever etched in history that Baltimore went to two CFL great clubs. They won one and they lost one. 
So that was uh, that was interesting. And it's interesting that you bring that up too about the the clear advantage because it's something that they still not the not the CFL as much. I think the CFL still pulls a lot of players from America and bring them onto their teams now. But the like if you go to the European leagues right now, you look at what they're doing. The Japanese leagues, you're only allowed to have like four Americans on the roster, period for per team yeah that's what i've heard and that's what they do is they go after you know like i was i actually was talking with uh david pindell the other day who used to play uconn dual threat quarterback and he's playing in the x leagues in japan right now and he's one he was like the star you know american that all the teams were going after you know when he went into the league this year but it's just it's interesting because it is a clear advantage and it's because i think it's an american sport right and football's american and because of that there's a lot more money. There's a lot more people that are invested in it in this country. And so even if you're a low tier American player, you go to another country to play the sport, you're almost royalty over there just because you, you were in America and you played there. Yeah. But so I thought that was an interesting point that you brought up there too, about that. Isn't that where you also, this is about the time uh, the, was it the world league that was going on at the time as well? Yeah, I actually played a um, year and a half there in Amsterdam. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was uh, that was fun. <laughs> that was, <laughs> and um, you know they had a red light district that we frequented quite a bit. I've heard about those red light districts from the military side, and they tell us don't go there. <laughs> really? That's what, yeah, no, I think too many people got in trouble in the red light stuff. So we're a lot of military people now are banned from well, they're banned, quote unquote, air quotes, from going. Yeah, they get you caught. Spend a lot of money bad. over there. Oh yeah. But it was uh, it was well organized. Like they had this little thing around their ankles. Um, from the health inspector, they had to go get an AIDS test every two weeks. I had permits, like somebody owned a little room and they worked in shifts and you couldn't take pictures because a lot of them were college girls working their way through college as prostitutes. So, yeah, yeah, they don't want, they don't want family, that info going out. <laughs> yeah, and their families didn't know. So, I mean, I saw one of them chased this American couple down the street with a knife because they would take, they had a camera. I mean, that was like no pictures. That was serious. But Amsterdam as a city was fun. It was fun. (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful women too. (laughs) I mean. Amsterdam, so. So the World League was a NFL project, correct? That was what it it was an NFL project. They were pumping money into it. And the idea was to develop players and shoot them back over to the NFL. Wasn't that pretty much what was trying to kind of go on over there? Or were they trying to expand and while expanding the sport simultaneously into Europe? Well, they allocated players from each team. There was like a certain amount of players that were allocated from NFL teams on each team. And then the back, you know, the half, the other half of the roster was guys that was either drafted 
or sign free agent uh, by the coaching staff mm -hmm. who didn't have an affiliation with the NFL team. So it was an opportunity for the NFL to get experience for young players and then for younger players also to get exposed to the NFL. But what it mainly was set up for was to give quarterbacks and offensive linemen and defensive linemen to some extent game experience. Because, right. you know, the third string quarterback never plays. Well, this was the, they basically took all the third string quarterbacks and sent them to the to, to the to the World League. Mm -hmm. And that's been the, the biggest problem, I think, in you know the modern NFL, the modern you know football league, and or the football uh, uh, landscape because you have that's why the the XFL, the USFL, and these other alt leagues that have been starting up over the last few years have been so successful, is because they can. These are guys going over there getting game time experience because it's a great the point. I think the reason that you brought that up, right, about the quarterback, offensive line, defensive line, is because those are the three position groups it's so hard to replicate reps in practice for. Whereas you can you can replicate reps for a wide receiver because he's running routes on a DB, and you know, you, that's that's relatively easy to replicate in practice. But well, you see all the seven on seven leagues in high school now. Yeah, exactly. And those and those so those position groups are always have a lot of attention. There's a lot of money in those position groups too, but they have a lot of attention. They got a lot more people that are involved with the development of those groups. Whereas the only way to really get experience if you're on the offensive defensive line or your quarterback is reps, game time reps. Yes. And that was the way they got them. It was a genius idea. It just and wasn't profitable. <laughs> Yeah, but the NFL, it was throwaway money. Right. But that's why the XFL is probably going to be the new World League. And they can't really come out and officially say it because the USFL has got another year on a TV contract. Right. But you'll probably see the USFL figure out a way to merge with the XFL. And then the XFL becomes the new World League. So do you think that – so you've been keeping up with the alt leagues and all that different stuff going on the past couple of years then? Yeah, I've got friends who coached in those leagues, so yeah. Mm -hmm. So – because this is something we've talked about a lot, like, you know, just um, going on different shows, doing diff talking to different people, even on this one too, is the, the two leagues, right, and, and – Obviously, it helps players with, with the experience and the game reps and all that different stuff. How, I guess the first question is, you, since you did the previous alt leagues, you know, you did the, the, the World League, which was the first kind of idea for that, uh, outside of maybe the, the World League, and I think it was the World League, WLF uh, in the 70s. Is there, what, what, what are you picking up? Is it, is it similar in the way that it's being done and what's different? XFL, yeah, it's real similar. Um, um, they're going to like they house every not, well, the one thing was we went through training camp in uh, Atlanta mm -hmm. at the Falcons complex. They had all the teams there and you could scrimmage, you know, because nobody had to trans, you know, have to do any transportation. Right. That's what they're going to do with the World League. Everybody's going to be 
pretty much at the same place. Or excuse me, with the XFL. Mm -hmm. And they're all going to live in Arlington. And they'll fly out to the um, to the uh, city, cities, yeah, uh, like two days before. So, so, so cutting costs a lot. Um, yeah, that saves a little bit of money. Yeah, yeah, because that's why the USFL had was running out of Birmingham this entire year, despite having all the teams, you know, having names and and cities. But Birmingham was the place all the games were played until. You know, they went to camp. Yeah, the only problem is the only games that had any fans were the Birmingham games. Exactly. Right. Because it's you can't you can't get you can't you're not gonna bring people from Michigan down to watch, you know, a, a basically a division two per se foot professional football team. Um yeah, you're correct. That that was the biggest problem was, you know, obviously the TV contracts helped. And you know, I was watching just about every game. And pumping all the artificial fan noise into, you know, the stadium to try to make it feel like it was filled up and, you know, trying to create that, that persona, I guess, where, okay, this is a game action. But it was essentially, it was just a bunch of scrimmages. And I think that was the only complaint that I really heard uh, from people about it. Yeah, the empty stadium is a bad look. <laughs> I mean, you can't get around that. Because there was a... The spring league went through the exact same thing, which, you know, obviously USFL essentially being the, the rebranded spring league, um, they had the same issue as well, but that was because there was no, there were no cities. It was just straight up scrimmages essentially. Well, I think the XFL will be, cause they got to do community service stuff when they do go to the, the home cities, mm -hmm. you know, so They'll probably go to elementary schools and high schools. I got to ask uh, one of my friends who's a coach exactly how that's going to work. But they they, they they got like community outreach stuff planned. So, you know, and then they're, they're going to advertise big in those cities, in the local mm -hmm. markets, you know, television and radio. Right. You kind of have to at this point. You know, that's yeah. if you market to that little town, or we're calling them little towns, but that market, that's, that's where you're going to build your base. That's what's going to support the league. And then, yeah. you know, you've got, um, you, the, I thought the host cities for the most part were really well picked, you know, going to obviously St. Louis needs that representation. They're still mad about the Rams and they want a oh, football they team. <laughs> They're never going to get over that. No, that's, that's going to hurt them for a long time. And then, you know, Picking some of these other ones, you know, like like San Antonio, I think's got one, and then also tapping into the the NFL markets in you know or uh, Orlando has one too, um, tapping the NFL markets with Seattle, Vegas, and so yeah. on and so forth. It's a it's a good mix, I think, uh, and that's critical, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, plus, you know, the time of year that the league is occurring. Is mm -hmm. good for the the league because you get players in the off season getting reps, and you're filling a TV void. Because I don't really watch the NBA like I used to until the playoffs. You know, it's just not the same. No, no, and, and the, the officiating has gotten so bad in the NBA. 
Oh, yeah. And then baseball is just starting up. But nobody watches baseball until, like, comes down to the, you know. World Series. <laughs> yeah. Because it's it's so hard. Unless you've played baseball and you just, you know, because I know people that are just crazy about baseball and they're just all into the the fine details and tunes. Unless you've done, unless you're at that point, baseball is almost unwatchable. It just is. It's so slow. Yeah, it's pretty tough. Yeah. Pretty tough. But I thought so, the so one of the things when, when I was talking with players and different things, so I'd love to hear your opinion, see if we're kind of the same wheelhouse here. Players that are considering going XFL or USFL, there's been a whole lot of them. You know, we've just watched the XFL draft go through, and there's all these players that are jumping from the USFL to the XFL. There's going to be a ton more as soon as the contracts expire on December 31st. So one of the things that I was talking with guys about, you know, when they're weighing options is just the calendar, right? The USFL is going to start in April and it's going to run into June, July, which is okay. But I think that hurts you if you're trying to, because the whole point of these leagues is to get an NFL chance, collect that film, go get an NFL shot. And that takes a lot away from those players ability. And we saw it this year too, when the season finished, they go to an NFL training camp and they've missed mini camp. They've missed OTAs. They've yeah. missed all that stuff, and it puts them at a serious disadvantage. And I thought Makes that the, the Rock made a really great decision and just that entire Danny Garcia, that entire uh, investment group, to go ahead. We're going to start this week after the Super Bowl, so we're going to get people straight off the Super Bowl. We're done by the NFL draft. Our season's over. And so now those players making that jump, they get to play. They get to go do mini camp. They get to do the, the pre-draft workouts or the post-draft workouts. They can go yeah. – you know, tryouts, they can go OTAs and they get that full NFL experience and they're already in playing shape because they've been playing for three, four months. And so I thought that the calendar was a huge advantage just for the XFL and thought that that's why they were going to dominate in this between them and the USFL. Yeah, it fits right into the calendar for the league. Mm -hmm. I mean, and think about it. Right after the Super Bowl. Um, there's some serious post football. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like it's like the super the seasons for depression. Yeah, I was thinking post apartum maybe. <laughs> PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing the thing about it is, you got a week between the Super Bowl and the NBA All Star Game, mm -hmm. and then after the NBA All Star Game, you just I mean, okay. Do you make the argument for March Madness? You can make that argument. Yeah. Uh, you got March Madness, but still, April, May. I mean, and the draft isn't until late April. And um, I think at worst, the... Um, the, the 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 championship game of the XFL will go into the first week of May, mm -hmm. so maybe maybe not. You might miss that first mini camp, but after that, you're good to go. I just I love that for the players, man. It just yeah, sets it up so much better. I thought, and that was one of the mistakes I thought the USFL made setting up last year was they waited too long. They got, they just, they waited way too long. 
And I understand that the TV schedule's better through that through that section, which I think is what why they made that decision was because you know you, you're just competing with baseball. You can beat baseball in NASCAR. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Nobody cares about baseball. Yeah, and NASCAR's right there, pretty much right down there with baseball. Like unless you just like cars and you like that kind of. And I have a friend of mine that that absolutely is a huge NASCAR fan. He is going to hate me for saying this, but unless you're really into cars and you just like watching, you know, four left turns, three left turns, depending on the track. It's a hillbilly sport. That's <laughs> what it is. And and then what's crazy is Formula One is more expensive and more advanced. And that's just as boring. Mm-hmm. I think they may have a longer track where they go through, you know, yeah, yeah, they have the circuits now too. Here, where they'll drive. I think they do one in Nashville. They do one in. I think they're supposed to do one in Chicago, L.A. They do the. They set up the circuits there in the in the streets. It's very yeah, interesting. But, <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot of it's just a bunch of like they got that one race twenty four hours on Lamar. It's just like yeah, drive for twenty four hours. I mean, Jesus. Some people, I guess, because they do it. <laughs> no, it's been going on forever. Uh, there's a nice there's a nice movie about that i think it's the the ford versus ferrari movie is about that yes. isn't it yeah that was the, that was when i learned about that race was when that movie came out yeah that was a good movie it made just, that it made that whole event seem so much more interesting than it is <laughs> yeah yeah and then you watch the real thing and you're like ooh, i'm gonna go watch the movie like five times and repeat <laughs> yeah no but um and then the thing about with the with the USFL is, it's a it's a wear and tear on the player's body because you go through a hard season, 10, 12 weeks. Yeah. And you don't get any rest time. You go like, you know, straight into the heart of training camp. Straight into training camp, and even though training camp ain't as physical as it used to be, I mean it's almost like a country club now. But still, <laughs> you've already been through. 10, 12 weeks, weeks of um, physical abuse. Yeah. So you're more susceptible to injury. I mean, you know, the good thing about it is you're in your 20s, so you can recover a lot quicker. But, I mean, that's a tough one. Yeah, no. And so one last question on that, because if you remember – when the USFL season first started, they were doing that documentary series that they were airing before the games. And there yeah. was the whole, there was just several little, I guess you, you really can't call them scandals because they didn't hit that kind of level of, you know, notoriety, I guess. But there were, there were questionable decisions that the league made in releasing uh, Devontae Smith the way that they did, the Michigan running back uh, yeah. over apparently pizza or something asking a waitress for pizza, you know, you just had that kind of stuff is, is there maybe a lack of confidence in the leadership there in that, that in that league that might be keeping players from playing in that, in that league right now? I don't know necessarily the confidence because, um, because the players are just looking for an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in certain individuals, I'll say that, you know, hope that you don't get this guy or that guy but i think for the most part you know the players are um you know they're just looking at it as an opportunity now i know because i know one guy that was going to be he was going to be in the uh, xfl draft and he went ahead and he just 
signed with the USFL team. And um, actually, my friend who's coaching in the XFL on one of the XFL teams was like, well, I'm glad he went over there because we, you know, because they were going to put him in the draft, in the draft pool, and they were probably going to pick him up. But, you know. There were 1,700 different players that were in that pool, and I think only 350 got drafted. So, yeah. So, the, and a lot of them didn't really understand how it was working. I mean, I mean, ironically, when I got, when we had the, the World League draft, when I was uh, playing first year, somebody wrote my weight in wrong and I didn't get drafted. I was like, what the hell? And then I get a call from um, Al Lugerville, who was Amsterdam's coach. He says, hey, do you still want to play? I was like, well, yeah. He says, well, but you only weigh 250. I'm like, no, I don't weigh 250, I'm like 290. He's like, well, they got you down to 250 in the um so so he immediately figured it out and was like hey well i got a ticket waiting for you i was like i'll be there i got you know they flew me in the next day but just a clerical error you know yeah can cost you yeah and those, so many players those blesto guys <laughs> they get that stuff wrong all the time <laughs> yeah because i know you got blesto and what's the other one nfs isn't it right something like that because there's two different scouting services but blesto has a lot of the measurements so you know i'll use draft scout for example and draft scout pulls a lot of their data straight off of blesto and i can't tell you wow. how many times i'm talking about a player and you know, uh, I'll, I'll bring, I'll name drop him here. Ryan Flournoy at Southeastern Missouri, wide receiver. Blesto's got him listed at like just under six foot. He's six two, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's a big difference in a wide receiver, you know, when you're looking at him. Well, that's what happens when you go to the combine. They, um, they get the exact measurements. And usually there aren't the measurements that you want because – you go in there and then they like six, two and five, ace. Like what? Yeah. Cause you know, that's, a, that's designed to see what you, you know, it's designed to keep you out of money. Basically. Anything to drop you in the draft, right? Get you, get you to drop a couple spots so that we can get you. Yeah, cause they, They're trying to get something for nothing. Yeah. Yep. So the last, the one, the last topic that I do want to bring up is your podcast. Cause you do the, the, the You podcast. So how did that come about? How did you decide to start that? Well, actually, it was funny. This guy um, hit me up. Actually, hit Ryan. Did he hit Ryan McNeil up first? Or hit, yeah, they hit Ryan McNeil. They contacted me and Ryan McNeil, and they said, we're going to put together these podcasts for um, all of the big D1 programs. And so when the when the uh, the company started, they would give us a script and all that. They tried to make it as easy as possible because they figured the majority of the guys that they were dealing with weren't media savvy, but they were popular in those markets. Right. So as it got along, I uh, had a pretty good relationship with the guy. And, you know, I've been in, I, I, I um, you started a company. Back in yeah, 2000, well, I, right? I, I run a business that advertises events and nightlife all over the country, mm -hmm. urban events. So I understood how to get money out of people. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, they got to pay me to advertise. I would do emails. I mean, yeah. 
a Skype, like one of the first people in that market that did it. And so I was telling the guy, hey, you need to do this, this, and this. And I was like, I had a, I had a, I guess you call her like my goddaughter. Cause me and her mother are real good friends. And they're like, her, her brother and her were like my little nieces and nephews. Right. Prompted. And so she was working at a casino in Vegas. And the guy was willing to do some sponsorship. And I told, uh, I told the kid, I said, listen, when you put this package together, put it down for X, this, this amount. Because if you do over that, his marketing people are going to get involved. He's going to bring them in because it's a larger amount. And they're going to shoot it down because they didn't think of the idea. <laughs> for this number right here, you can get, you know, the money is petty cash to him. He won't even think about it. Of course, he didn't listen to me. He goes with the big, you know, hell, you know, big giant number. Yep. And he got shot down. <laughs> so eventually, he didn't, he, the, the, he, he didn't see how to make money. Now, from the beginning, they would let me do my own advertising. So, you know, I was making some, you know, look, change off of it. So, you know, I wasn't losing any money. I was making money off of it. And so eventually they shut it down. So when they shut it down, I just kept the whole concept and we just kept it moving. And then I think Ryan, he has a, he had a patent that he was working on and that took up his time. So then it just became me. And I just kind of uh, reorganized the show. And I, I set it up like how you would set up a, you know, a regular radio or TV show with block for advertising and everything. So uh, this is going pretty good. I can't complain. Um, you know, I got Truist Financial and uh, UM Health, uh, two big sponsors, and then uh, I got another one coming in. So, you know, it it's good side money. I can't complain. <laughs> But I it's not, you know, I think there's you, a there's a guy there's a guy that you have this I can't it's very difficult to decipher on social media, uh, whether if it's a joke or if it's legit. Manny uh <laughs> Navarro. <laughs> uh, think, uh, I, I'll go ahead and quote him here, uh, because someone asked why Manny isn't going on your show, and he said he's got his or why you guys weren't together. He said he's got his own show. I asked him a couple times, but he says he'd rather watch paint dry. <laughs> so yeah um no nah, man man he's a friend of mine but <laughs> people are confused people people myself included were very confused as i was i don't understand uh is this because manny was the last guest on your show was he not <laughs> 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 and he's gonna and he's gonna be on next week because he's got over. We got to talk about the uh, seasons. So. <laughs> <laughs> what was the biggest disappointment this year with Miami to you, outside of maybe finishing as as terribly as they did? The players' attitude. Mm -hmm. A lot of them um, didn't take well to the change. And, you know, I was explaining to one of the kids, I said, you got to understand something. Your head coach practiced on Green Tree. 
left blood and sweat on Green Tree, won two national championships off that practice field. And the vision that he has of Green Tree and the vision and, and the reality that he's seeing right now, they don't add up. Because, <laughs> I mean, Green Tree, Jimmy used to say this all the time. We're trying to make practice harder than the game. And I'll never forget the first time I played offensive line in the game was um, Coach Erickson's first year. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, we were in Wisconsin. And it was the first game of the year. And we were blowing them out. I think we beat them 51-3 or something like that. And I get in the game, and I was like, geez, this is so much slower. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was kind of weird. It's like, man, they're so much slower than the because I, mean, I was going against Russell, Maryland, Cortez, Kennedy, and you know, you know, you're going against a number one pick in the draft two years later and a future Hall of Famer. And then the guys behind them were solid pros. I mean, and then these guys, I remember, I remember one one play, I um I blocked this guy and he ended up playing in the league for like seven years. And he's like, why are you going so hard? The game's over. <laughs> like, <"What?" laughs> I mean, it was just so different. Um, and these kids don't understand how competitive practice was for us. Like we, they have a drill called, well, we call it middle drill, but it's called inside run where you go over your run plays. The secondary is down doing seven on seven. I saw guys lose their scholarships in this drill. <laughs> I remember, I remember um, during two days, my first year there, we had a guy named Darius Frazier. He was like, uh, the year before he had to sit out because they had this rule called Proposition 48. Right. If you didn't make a certain score in your, your SAT, ACT, they could enroll you, but you couldn't practice or play. You couldn't be around the team. You just had to go to class for a year. So when they signed him, he was a 6'2", 250-pound fullback linebacker. Well, after a year of not doing anything, he was a 6'2", 335-pound fullback. So <laughs> I remember doing two days because I was, you know, we were freshmen. So we were, me and my roommate, we were like the co-number threes at strong side linebacker. And he was the third string fullback. And every damn inside run we did, they called lead of uh, off tackle lead where he has to come and block you. And, you know, you're playing strong side. When you see the tackle block down, the tight end block out, that means that there's a, a hole and you got to fill the hole. Yeah. You got to fill the gap. And it's like, you know what the play is. And I'll be like, it got to the point where me and, me and Hamlet, we would take like two, three Tylenols before practice because we knew it was coming. <laughs> and you know you gotta, gotta go get hammered by this 330 pound fullback <laughs> yeah you sit there you see it coming and you're like oh god here we go again <laughs> <laughs> and so right after after two days they moved the defensive tackle i remember we were all on the scout team together because you know fresh year freshman i was like man why they ain't move your ass before this I mean, you could have made my two days a lot easier if you'd have been playing in front of me instead of right. across from me. Right. But it was that competitive, and that's not what's going on right now. And it's hard 
for Mario and the other guys who are alumni that are on the staff to stomach because it's almost blasphemous what they're doing. And they don't see it because this is a different generation. And, you know, a man, he had a different type of coaching style. I'm not saying that he was a bad coach because I actually liked the guy. I thought he was a good, you know, I thought he was trying to do the best he could. You know, um, he didn't have the same, you know, an obvious ironic twist is, is that, you know, if he would have had the resources that they dedicated to Mario this year and in the future, who knows if he would have been a little bit more successful, but I mean, realistically one play cost him his job. Mm -hmm. One play. Yeah. Fourth and 14. I mean, I still, I'm still confused. And you know, it wasn't like he made a bad call on defense. The kids just blew the coverage. Yeah, it happens. And, and that's the thing. It's like you call the perfect call, and then they mess it up, but you get fired. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody said life was fair. But he bounced back this year. I mean, did a good job as a defense coordinator for Penn State. Yeah. yeah, yeah, did a great job there. Made the semifinals of the Brawls Award. Um, so. You know, I think eventually he'll get another job, but I just don't think it'll be in Florida. I don't think mm -hmm. he wants any parts of the state of Florida anymore. And that one of the things that I heard, you know, talking with some NFL people this year was, uh, you know, some scouts and stuff was there were two schools that that popped this year in terms of players not reacting well to NIL. And the two the two schools that they really said were Texas A&M and Miami. And we you know. played each other. Yeah. <laughs> Disastrous game. <laughs> yeah, actually, because one of my old arena league teammates, his son was their best receiver. He ended up getting hurt. And I was just talking to him the other day about it. I'm like, is Anais coming back next year? He's like, oh, no, we just gonna take our chances in the draft. He said, but AM, they did come with a hell of a package to make, you know, try and convince him to stay. I was like, y'all had a hell of a package before. I was like, what, what are they going to give you, like half the city? <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, our kids, they, they for the most part, they, they did make pretty good money off the NIL. Yeah. But I don't think it was the NIL. I just think it was the expectation of the new staff. Um, you know, and then... Honestly, this generation of players is a lot dumber than we were. I mean, I know people are going to say, oh, there's another old guy talking. But no, it is drastically different. I mean, the common sense end of it, it's like, and I think part of it is practices aren't as long. Mm -hmm. So teaching isn't as in-depth as it used to be. Meetings aren't as long, you know, they're on a, they're on a time. Yeah. That, that, you know, so you only get technically 20 hours. So you got to put a lot in, in 20 hours. And, you know, our meetings were longer. Our practices were longer. Um, so we had way longer more physical too. Way more yeah, physical, way more physical. And we had a lot more individual time with the coaches. Those periods were longer. 
Because mm-hmm. I talk to friends now. Like, I know Lamar Thomas told me when he was at Kentucky, they only had five minutes of individual. It's like, five minutes? By the time you run down to your spot, you know, you've already lost a minute. So what are you doing four minutes? So because everybody's trying to run 100 plays, they're more concerned with the getting the plays in than they are in the teaching the fundamental. Yeah. yeah, and that's been – there's certain schools that are better at it, obviously, that have yeah. done a really good job developing talent you know, through all of that. But no, that's a great point. That's been one of the biggest issues. Um, what about uh, that, uh, that Garcia kid, that quarterback? He says he's coming back. I was shocked because once, <laughs> once Tyler been, once Tyler said that he was coming back, I was like, well, why would Jake Garcia come back? Because, you know, they're going to move forward with Curry Brown and we got another kid coming in that's, you know, he'll it'll actually help him. He'll be able to register. Um, but I just, you know, I guess their family is, they're going to go through spring and then see how that works. And then at some point, I think after spring, he'll probably transfer Mm -hmm. because, but, you know, I know it's been two coaching staffs that they talk about this. Mm -hmm. I didn't see how there was a quarterback controversy because he's nowhere near as good as Tyler Van Dyke. Really? Because I, I was a part of that. <laughs> I had Miami fans that were so mad at me back in the spring because I was like, oh, this Garcia kid, I like him a whole lot better. I just don't see it. I mean, he took one, one of the things, and, and here's the thing. As a center, I spent a lot of time with the quarterbacks, yeah. the quarterback coaches, and the offensive yeah. coordinators. And when I was with the Rams, it was so – it was so specific. Like um, we would, you know, every day before practice for 10 minutes, we had, you know, snap to the quarterback. But, you know, normally you just come out and the center and the quarterback just snapped each other for a couple minutes. And they, mm-hmm. that was a warm up. And then it was, they call some plays and then you got to go through the steps. He's got to go through his steps. You know, he's just throwing the ball and like, well, what were you looking at? And so I got a chance to understand what the quarterback is thinking. And then me and the third string quarterback, when I was with the Rams, I would go over his house all the time and play John Madden. And he beat the he beat the beat the stuffing out of me. He'd be like, Oh, you're in cover three. But you know, we we would talk while we were playing, and that also helped me understand what a quarterback is seeing. And when I was looking at Jeff Gar- uh, Jake Garcia, I was like, he can't read coverages. Because he's holding the ball too long. Because one of the things about quarterbacks that they put on quarterbacks is if it's a five-step drop, the ball's got to be out of your hand in 2.8 seconds, 2.7 seconds. At the 2.9 second mark, it's not the O-line's fault. It's your fault. If it's seven-step drop, it's 3.4 seconds. At 3.5 seconds, it's your fault. And and, uh, three-step, I think it's 1.6. At 1.7, it's your fault. So it's one, two, three, read. So in those steps, you got to be reading. And that ain't easy. That's no. a very different. No, and you're right. It's even more difficult in the pros because the hash marks are closer together so they can disguise the coverages. In college, the hashes are wider, so it's a little harder to disguise the coverages. But like that last turnover he had, Jake Garcia had, he just was like staring into the abyss and him and the receiver apparently weren't on the same page, but you right. can't be staring into the abyss. It's like, Oh, he ain't run the right route. Okay. That guy, Oh, he oh, throw it away. You know, it's gotta be one, two, three, 
throw it away. And he hasn't he isn't at that level yet. Tyler, that first drive we had before he got hurt, mm-hmm. you could just see it. It's like he was just we just went right. And then unfortunately he had an inexperienced tight end in who ran the wrong route and it ended <laughs> up in being a, a, a interception. Right. But you could just see it. You, you could see it in his eyes. He, it's the gate because I had a conversation with him last year when he started playing good. Actually, after the first in the first game that he started, we were talking, and I remember that first game, the Virginia game. I was like, "Oh God, we're gonna suck," because he was so bad the first half, and then the second half, like, "Whoa, what that?" And so I remember I DM'd him after the game. I said, well, what what changed for?" You? He said, "It started to slow down the game." And the game, I think, has not slowed down for Jeff Garcia just yet. Yeah. Yeah. And it really ain't slowed down for Ja'Curry Brown. No. <laughs> no, we, won't, we don't have to get into Brown if you don't want to. <laughs> well, with him, it's like they could tell him something like, all right, I want you to do one read, two read, run. So if the first read ain't there, the second read, run. Yeah. You know, so yes. you got to – you, know, you gotta um you know you got to uh instill certain uh scenarios to these kids when they're young because you know a lot of people haven't seen what a you know college playbook is pretty good size but a pro playbook oh yeah, it's insane yeah <laughs> so it's it's a constant learning curve mm-hmm. yeah no but we're, gonna, point. we're gonna be all right i think the good thing about it is we're going to get Jalen Rivers back and Zion Nelson back on the left side of the offensive line. The offensive yep. line will be a strength next year. The defensive line was a strength this year, and it'll be a strength next year because all four starters are coming back. We're probably going to have to find some depth at a lot of positions, but the starters up front on the O-line and D-line, that's the key, and then we got a quarterback. So you need a quarterback and you need offensive and defensive lines. You can go find wide receivers anywhere, wide receivers yep. and running backs. Yep. And, and and cornerbacks. So we'll be all right. No, that's that's the the biggest thing I think when we when I came into this college football season and I was doing gridiron eve and we were talking about bets on the very first episode. I said, here's how you have to look to bet this year when you are assessing a game. Who has the advantage on the offensive line? Who has the advantage on the defensive line? And then your tiebreaker is the quarterback. Yeah, <laughs> that's how you have to do it. You know. Yeah. And this year, I think the parity across college football was so much better. Uh, just with because of that, that, just looking at it from that matchup standpoint. And you know, okay, well, if you're still kind of if it's still 50-50, okay, then we can start talking about wide receivers and running backs and corners and safeties and linebackers, special teams, whatever. I said, but those three things. If I'm making a bet this year that's what I'm looking at when I'm assessing and I'm going, they got an advantage on the offensive line. They got an advantage on the defensive mm-hmm. line. They're going to well, win. Look at Michigan. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Their perfect offensive example. line is huge. <laughs> and their defensive line is full of, you know, Bruce Feldman freaks. So yeah, they keep a pass rusher. So that's, that was a, you know, you had the two pass. You know, they, they had the two pass. The guy, the guy that year. transferred in from UT Martin had a really good year too. So I can't. Yeah. I got onto him late last this past summer, 
it was like, oh man, he's going to kill it in Michigan. <laughs> he had a good year, but uh, I, I think Maisie Smith was a huge one and that'll be a big yeah. loss when they play uh, tomorrow is a current recording time. But uh, cause I think he just got arrested for felony gun charges back in October. Yeah. I so, saw that. Great stuff. <laughs> yeah. But they're, yeah, but they're playing Purdue, so they'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey man, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. It's been a pleasure yeah, no talking problem. with you, man. It's been great. Yeah. You, uh, hey, no your people can follow you on Twitter at Ebony lifestyles and obviously catch your podcast anywhere else. Yeah, the podcast is on uh, Apple Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and it's at Miami with a dash Huddlecast. Good to hear. M-I-A-M-I-H-U-D-D-L-E-C-A-S-T. Good to hear. Good stuff, man. Appreciate the time. And I uh, feel like I just got came out of here a little bit smarter, just you know, listening to the wisdom of the old of the old guy over there. You know, screaming that football's changing, you know, but it is. <laughs> All right, man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for tuning into my channel, checking out the content. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and follow us on your favorite podcast platform as well.